Hey y'all, yes you, listening. Come and chill and hang out with Mikkel and Candice and all the beautiful people just like you on the front porch where we have intimate intergenerational conversations. So sit back, relax, grab a cool drink and we'll see you on the front porch. Welcome to the Front Porch Podcast, where we have intimate intergenerational conversations to connect, build, and learn from each other. I am Mikkel, a millennial, and my lovely co-host is Candice, a Generation Xer. And on this episode, we're heading to the Front Porch to talk about mental health, specifically mental health trials and triumphs of Black men. Candace, who's joining us on the porch today for this much needed conversation? Thank you, thank you, thank you, Mikkel. So on the front porch today is Ty Parker, Pastor Alan Graves, and Chaz Cole Reeser. Make sure I get that correct. Yeah. <laughs> hey, y'all, how's everybody doing? How's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. You all. So, you know, let's just do a little bit of an introduction. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your generation. So we'll, we'll start with Chaz. Hello, everyone. I'm Chaz Colreaser. Uh, I am a, I guess, an elder millennial. Um, <laughs> I am a licensed social worker in Washington, D.C., who has um, primarily worked with youth and children and their families um, and uh, Black folks and people from historically excluded and ignored communities. Um, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you, thank you. Pastor Graves? Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Alan Graves, Alan Irizarry Graves. I currently serve as the Associate Pastor of Ministries and Innovation at New Hope Baptist Church in North Little Rock and Conway, Arkansas. I'm a native of Youngstown, Ohio. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm married, got a boy who's three, and then we're due in two weeks with our baby girl. And so we are expecting new life and excited about that. Um, and I'm finishing up my doctorate in this dissertating phase. So keep me lifted in prayer. <laughs> Will do. Will do. <laughs> Todd Parker. Uh, Todd Parker, originally from Chicago. Um, unfortunate Bears fan. Uh, currently, <laughs> currently in San Jose, working for a not-for-profit um, that partners with schools at uh, school partnerships in Taiwan schools, inner-city communities. So right now, I'm at a K through five, doing some of everything um, from behavioral management, uh, de facto counseling, climate and culture building, and just um, personally keeping up a positive and healthy morale amongst the staff during these post-pandemic times. Mm -hmm. Happy to be here as well. Awesome. Well, thank y'all. So family, before we jump into the conversation, we have this round that we call rapid fire. So please share the first thing that comes to mind once I ask this question. What makes you smile? Family. Family. Cussing. Say yours again, Todd. Cussing. Cussing. <laughs> Make some smile. Okay. That was the that was the unexpected answer. <laughs> but honest. 
But it made, it made, it made us smile. <laughs> <Right>. See? <laughs> How about you, Mikel? What makes me smile? Seeing other people smile. Hmm. Legit. It's contagious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about you, Candace? You know, just just life. Mm. I mean, just life. Mm -hmm. Living. It, all, it makes me smile. Mm. That's a good place to be in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for that, um, the rapid fire. We are going to um, jump on into um, our topic today. Um, we have, of course, some questions that we want to ask, and, and hopefully this conversation will just evolve organically. Um, we are absolutely anticipating all of these pearls of wisdom from you all, but we do want to get started with just, um, just a basic kind of question around how you all define um, manhood, masculinity, and how those definitions really shaped who you are or how those definitions or those um, descriptions really affect mental wellness. So just your definition, your description of, of manhood masculinity. Um, anybody can? Yeah, go ahead, Ty. Yeah, jump on in. It's weird to even answer or listen to that question now. Um, as I didn't say before, I'm I'm more than just a Generation X. I'm an elder man, <laughs> so I'm not even like an elder Gen X. I'm just an elder, and to hear the the evolution of an answer like that, of a question like that, hmm. in my lifetime, is mind boggling. Like for me to uh, work with some of the young men that I work with now and to help them get along, I so wish I had somebody. I know I didn't, I wouldn't have it being a young, but I wish I had somebody with the wealth of what it could, what manhood could look like when I was 10, 11, 12. I'm coming, you know, Gen Xers are coming on behind baby boomers where, again, my dad, older people around me, uncles and cousins, it was very black and white, very extreme. You man up. And then anything other than manning up was left to chance. Like it wasn't like you a punk, you, you know, you had names, but it was like you're the man up or you're left to everything else mm. that is not attractive. Mm. So it took me to college to run into a guy a little bit older than me to ask me about manhood. And I thought I'd run down all the answers I was given and not shown responsibility and all this other stuff. He was like. You could teach anybody to do that. You could teach a dog to be responsible and even clean up after himself if you really wanted to. <clears throat> but how? What's, what is, uh, is a sustainable idea of manhood as you get older? Mm -hmm. And I felt so much unlike a man. I'm like, I checked when I got up this morning. I'm a man. <laughs> and he freaked, and I, I did not feel like a man in front of this other man. And he finally let me off the hook some weeks later. He was like, a man knows his limitations and capabilities and is man enough to express them. Mm -hmm. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm -hmm. And I grew up around all these other men who I thought expressed manhood, uh, responsible, took care of their home, you know, my dad included. Um, even with some of the stuff being told to me by the men about how to treat women. Some in the 
you know, better way, some and not a better way. Just I had all this, but no one just gave it to me like that for me to carry on uh, throughout these different generations and these things that are going to test my manhood. Um, and I, I, you know how it is. You never forget a moment, the vivid imagery around that I'm standing in front of this dude and he gave me, you know, something that I thought I already had. Like, you know, I'm 18, I'm a man. Mm. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I've always defined it and added little pieces and working with especially young middle school men who struggling with what their manhood looks like. I give him that same business that dude gave me. His name was Pata. Never forget it. Mm. Mm. So a lot of head nod, nodding from Chaz. <laughs> jump in. Uh, I'll jump in. Um, I love that definition. A man knows his limitations as well as his capabilities. I think that's freeing for me myself. Mm. As even as a grown man, I'm 31. I'll be 32 on Sunday. So um, there's just a lot going on. But <laughs> I feel as though I'm still figuring out what it means to be a man. Um, I grew up in a context in which I didn't have a father. My father was married and had my whole family, me and my three brothers, um, with my mom while he had a family. So I didn't have a male presence to show me what a man was, um, as well as I, my understanding of manhood was shaped by absence in which a man doesn't do or what a man won't do. And so I feel as though I've had the burden, but the privilege of getting the opportunity to shape what that looks like. Because sometimes we inherit things that are toxic and we don't realize it. And so I think it's actually a blessing that I didn't have my biological father as an example to show me what manhood was, because he is not at all a good example of what that looks like. And so... I was reading a book by Common, One Day It'll All Make Sense, and he was talking about blackness. And he said, everyone has a unique way to show their blackness. And I think that same thing can be said for manhood. Mm. There is no one definition of manhood. Yeah. You get to shape what that looks like. And then the other piece of this is, who gets to determine what that definition is? Because Todd, how you grew up, that's not my understanding, right? Some people may grow up where a man is a provider. Mm. My daddy didn't provide for me, right? Or a man is a protector. He can protect you from this, but he allows all this foolishness to go on. And so I'm redefining and reimagining what that looks like currently. And it really is a challenge, but it also is a blessing because now as I get to create legacy, I think that really helps to shape for me personally, what manhood is. And I'll just mm. stop there. Mm. Mm. Yeah, all right, exactly. Let's see why we on the porch and I need me a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with communion. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Chad, what, do so, you, what do you have to say? What do you add here? Yeah, yeah. This I'm mm -hmm. resonating with with 
both uh, my colleagues have said already, um, especially the part about having, a, you know, we have the opportunity now to create what manhood looks like for us or masculinity. So as somebody who is a part of the LGBTQ community, um, I got, when I was younger, I got real solid, rigid black and white messages about what masculinity is, what it is to be a man. And I got real good because of safety. I wanted to be safe. I got real good at performing masculinity, what I thought it was, yeah. um, like real good. Um, so now I'm at a point now where I um, am recreating what that looks like for me and doing my own research and my own, what do, what do, how do I want to show up? You know, I have, you know, uh, the pastor talked about a legacy. I have a son. I want him to grow up um, to be a, an emotionally intelligent um, person who is thoughtful, who is kind, who knows his worth, all of those things. So just really, um, as I'm trying to figure that out for myself or continue to evolve in that, um, keeping that in mind as well. So I, I would just end with saying it's a, it's an evolving process. And I, I am thankful for that because I know it wasn't... Um, it what didn't start like that. That makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So powerful. So around this idea that you're uh, leaving us off with on this question, Chaz, around evolution, around this idea of just lived experiences, around just growth, do you all think there is a difference between coping and healing? And how do we embark toward either or both? Say the question one more time. Say the Of course. Is there a difference between coping and healing? And how do we embark toward either coping or healing or both? Um, I I wouldn't necessarily it of course, trying not to trying to do a little bit of generalization with some, you know, personal narrative to back it up. But I think, again, coping can be a part of healing, um, especially as, as we talk in the generational sense. That's all I had was coping. Like, man, Chaz, the whole performative do. I, Candace and I have talked about this at length about how to put that in more of the forefront so so that a lot of people can realize they're not alone in that because when you're doing that performative there are times when you feel like man i gotta do this yeah and some of that pressure um is is sourced in you thinking i'm the only one that has to do it and then for you know hopefully some of us get the opportunity to figure out like some of those vulnerable moments with your fellow, you know, uh, uh, um, young men, you find out we all kind of performing. We mm -hmm. all kind of trying to live up to this so-called societal idea of manhood. You're trying to impress some of the men around you. You're trying to attract whoever you try to attract. And you just, you just running back and forth, running back and forth, trying to do these things. Um, and you get caught up hopefully young enough where you bump your head and and get out of it when you're older but not many of us do so for me i find myself coping with some of those um what i call middle school decisions 
in my twenties. And and through education and um, being very young around some of the the my colleagues, but being the go to person, um, I felt that pressure come upon me. And for instance, I always bring this up. I had to make I had to make friends with the twelve year old Todd who got bullied before I could go and assist a young bully in front of me. Mm. All I dealt with it, all I suppressed it, pushed it down. What's done is done. It's in the past. I was four foot nine in high school. So that little, that little guy who people look at me now and go, oh, no, nah, that's you exaggerating, Todd. I'm like, you cannot take away the, the, the trauma that I had rolling through Roseland mm-hmm. at 12. But for me to say it out loud or for people to give me, oh, you're average now. I don't believe you. That did not mean I didn't have a trigger of a mm. 12-year-old Todd now with some power trying to go and get my bully back through this little 12-year-old dude. Mm. And that, that really took me to address mm. my 12-year-old Todd, the decisions I made, the performative stuff, the things I thought that was going to you know, get people off of me. And every single thing, and I'm looking at it play out in front of me. And that helped me heal. That helped me use those coping mechanisms that I thought would work forever to get to the healing part. But I know everybody isn't giving those opportunities. Um, I, I, I give it up to just being in education and, and being able to see it play out and go, man, I thought I was the only one who was doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't want, personally, I don't think there's a huge difference. I think they just, they can uh, be supplemental mm. to one another, mm-hmm. uh, but to get to how to go either left or right, coping <laughs> and healing, I think that's individual. I think that's personal. Mm-hmm. Cause either way you gotta want to do one of them. You gotta mm-hmm. want to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pastor Grace, I see you nodding. Yeah, um, for me, my understanding is coping is the vehicle by which we get toward healing if it's healthy. Because I don't think all coping mechanisms are healthy. Right, right. You can have an unhealthy attachment to women and that be a coping mechanism. That's not going to fix the issue. Um, when I think about medical um, malpractice, you can prescribe something. It's a it's a it's a coping mechanism. It's a prescription, but it may not be the right one for you to get you to your uh, perceived or your uh, wanted means of wellness. And so, for me, I think coping is the way we get toward healing. And I think for myself, I've not always known how to cope well. Um, I grew up in foster care. I was placed in the system when I was four and never went home. So my coping mechanism was to not talk. Mm-hmm. I coped. I did not heal. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't, and there are layers to this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there are areas, I'm 31 now, I still haven't healed from. Mm-hmm. And so I think we also have to understand that healing looks different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Healing might be everybody coming back together for some folks. But healing might be, I'm not talking to them anymore, but I still forgive them. Mm. And so I think once again, we can't have like a monolithic understanding of healing, right? Mm -hmm. I was in seminary and I had a conversation with a colleague and she was like, I just can't believe we have to die. 
And I said, well, for some people, death is a form of healing. And mm -hmm. she couldn't fathom that. However, if you're suffering from cancer and you're in pain, to be taken from this earth is a form of healing, if you have that understanding. And so I think for me, coping is the way we get to healing if it's healthy. And I think we have to do a better job as men, particularly of teaching those we've been tasked with and privileged with uh, caring for how to cope. And that starts with, it's okay to cry, young black man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I still pride myself. I don't cry. It don't bother me. Mm -hmm. that, that don't mean nothing. Mm -hmm. It's not healthy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Jesus asked a question to the lady in the Bible. He said, do you want to be made well? Mm -hmm. The question is, do you want to be made well? If so, you got to cope right. Mm -hmm. Is mm -hmm. that so the, the you brought up something that just kind of triggered a thought for me, and that is just the expression of the emotion. How how significant is that uh, among black men in particular? not being able to show those kinds of emotions or only, I don't know if it's compartmentalizing or, you know, is this a part of like the definition of masculinity and manhood, just not being able to show those kinds of emotions that might make you uh, seem vulnerable? Is it, is it kind of digging through that to say, you know, this is actually, this is a good thing and being able to express that you need to release in some of those ways or even define you know the reasons why you're crying i don't know is it mm. is it what do you guys think is it just a part of the the process it again coming from a perspective of of you know candace knows this but there's a difference in and i just put a name to it but we all can see the difference you you get taught things you learn things and then there are many things you get schooled so the formal teachings about whatever and then you learn it once you apply that teaching that formal teaching in a you know you apply it in an informal way and you, you learn you know, from a mistake or two but then a lot of life lessons that get challenged when an adult or some people older than you say stuff but then they don't live up to it or don't hold themselves accountable. That's when you get schooled. So in, in respect to your question, it's, I had to learn how relative it is to express yourself as a man. And probably the biggest thing I can use is being an athlete. Like there are certain moments when it's okay. When you put in all the energy in the work for, you know, on your team or, or whatever, whatever. And, or your, your, your favorite team loses or your favorite player gets hurt, whatever the case may be. So we have our relative ways of expressing our emotion, even if it includes tears. Like growing up thinking that the most masculine of all of your peer group is the football player, but then they cry in the championship when they lose in the championship game. Like mm -hmm. that's okay. We, get, we learn and we get schooled that that's cool. Mm -hmm. However, if you cry in various other uh, arenas or due to any other situations, that's questionable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you grow up thinking like, well, when is it okay? Like, I don't play football. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I, I, I feel the pain of not getting something I desired. Um, 
uh, being let down, rejected. There's a great book. Uh, I don't think I'm say the name correctly, but it it's um, a compilation. I think of some uh, psychologists, and it talks about grooming a young boy's emotional intelligence. Mm. And I uh, picked it up at a conference or something, and I go to it all the time when trying to deal with young boys um, showing emotions, letting them know it's okay. And letting them know by way of a, of a, of a man who's going through what they've gone through, like, I'm here forever. You want me to respond to this? It could be listening. It could be helping to walk through it. It could be showing an embrace. Now I know as an educator, you know, you got to watch that, but Sometimes it is whatever they want, however they want to express it. I got to be okay with whichever way, instead of trying to guide them. Hey, you know, that's young men, you know, a man supposed to you know, uh, uh, you can cry now, but you can't cry tomorrow. Like mm -hmm. I stay away from any of that stuff that I was given. So they, <laughs> they can still get a healthy dose of each being taught, learning it and being schooled. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that I'm sorry, is it okay for me to jump in? Yeah, I was gonna say, Candace, um, what you had asked earlier and Todd, what you're saying is really resonating. I'm uh, sitting on my hands here, so I don't like shout out <laughs> over you all talking, but it it is, I think there's some historical context here as well, right? Like mm -hmm. we um masculinity and what we're taught about masculinity has been comes from um, in my opinion, you know, a dominant culture that doesn't always include us. Um, and it's, you know, your stoic, your individualism. I think that big piece is you're an individual. You're always in control of your emotions. Um, you're not vulnerable. Um, and then when you look at images to take that, you know, you, I think, Todd, you mentioned being schooled, you know, learning different things and hearing different things. When you look at the media, movies, TV, um, even now social media, when you see images uh, black men, they don't they focus on our, our bodies and what we look like and the strength and uh, what we can do, you know, physically, they don't focus on our intelligence, let alone our emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. So there isn't a lot of uh, reinforcement or even examples um, of that for us to see, to help even see or shift or know what this could look like. Um, so to Todd's point um, and to what we're talking about here today, it's certainly important to have many diverse, um, mm -hmm. different options of what men can look like and how men can express those emotions outside of the rigid frame, the sometimes rigid framework of masculinity. Mm -hmm. and, and even with some of those images, I'd say round number the last decade that combat with the overwhelming images of what black, especially let's just talk with black masculinity looks like. Mm -hmm. It's still, yeah, they still got a ways to go. Um, it's almost like mm -hmm. you want to overflood the the uh outlets of you know black men getting into therapy um having deep conversations with their boys that don't include um the things that we're used to you know what manhood like black men can have many different conversations other than sports and women mm -hmm. like, you yeah. know even to the point where you know mid-20s i'm thinking I've had in-depth conversations with, you know, my black male counterparts, mm -hmm. but like you're right, you don't see that in like, can I, can I, uh, movie drop? 
Sure. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> Y'all remember Brothers? Absolutely. I was like... Was that I with Tay Diggs? Was Tay Diggs? No, that was a Morris Chestnut. Oh, okay. Morris Chestnut movies from the 90s. Right. Like, even going back to, like you said, imagery, they all had to look like that. Mm -hmm. And I get it, it's Hollywood, you're trying to sell movie tickets, so sex sales. Right. right. But, like, none of these dudes look like me or remind me of the, the average yeah. dude. Mm -hmm. Like, stop. Yeah. But I figure, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll wipe that part away if they really get into some things. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, for me, it was like, eh. Yeah. And, and, and maybe, maybe I gave it too much hype because this was on the heels of waiting to exhale. And Wayne Exhale was the woman's anthem of there's <laughs> some sort of representation for me. And if it's me and my girls or just me alone and mm -hmm. hit upon a bunch of things. And it was like, okay, all right, brothers uh, coming out, they finna do it. Right, right. It was every ounce of predictable Hollywood black male trope I have ever seen. Right. And right. it just kind of let me down on on what is now being celebrated like the whole black nerd the blurred movement mm -hmm. and it's like yeah like i'm into other things mm -hmm. other than what the bell curve says black masculinity. Mm -hmm. right right if i could just bring in a, a voice of a, a gen uh zier and and those babies are gen z is believe they're from eight years old to 23, I think spans their generation. And there was a Gen Zer, his name is James. He was gonna be on today to represent his generation, but his grandmother passed recently. And I had a FaceTime with him and on his own, he just named that, you know, I've only cried once and I wanted to cry the other day in the car with my uncle, but I couldn't. Mm. And I was like, why? And he was like, I just couldn't, I couldn't let it out. And I was like, hmm, well, how do you how do you think you'll go about releasing that? Right. Because it, it needs to come out. And immediately, speaking of coping, he said, you know, once he gets some tree, once he gets his weed, that'll help him be comfortable enough or in the space enough to disown some of his feelings mm -hmm. and then get the release that that he needs. So just like looping it back to this idea of how you can express your emotions, what is acceptable, who deemed that it was acceptable for how Black men express their emotions, specifically crying, how we cope in unhealthy ways that may not lead you to the destination of healing and how then that is perpetuated because he's also a father and he also has children and how that just cycles generationally. Mm -hmm. Something. And I think we got to be mindful that uh, there's a risk attached to being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. and everyone Absolutely. cannot be trusted with your vulnerability. Absolutely. I think that's why we have people like Chaz. I'm I'm a pastor. Mm -hmm. I can't afford to be vulnerable with certain folks because they just can't handle it. Right. It's certain family members. Don't post no pictures. Don't go live. Don't tell folks where I'm at. Because <laughs> the truth of the matter is everyone can't handle that. But doesn't, that, also need doesn't that perpetuate us suffering in silence, though? I got to. I don't think so. I think I think you it forces you to find safe spaces. So yeah. I'm intentional about constantly having conversations where I can get that out. I do have two counselors because it's certain stuff 
I don't need a faith-based perspective. I do this every day. I don't want to go to my preacher counselor. He know my pastor. I, even though I know you sign all those papers, it's still, no. I need a total, you don't even know me. I'm your client, <laughs> right? I'm in meetings with this guy. We have to keep that line. And so I think for me, vulnerability is risky. Know mm -hmm. who to share with and when to share with them. And then know that not everyone you need to be vulnerable with. So maybe his uncle wasn't the best person to share with. Oh, yeah, but if he right. had if he had another avenue mm -hmm. for which to share, mm -hmm. then that's healthy. Because we've seen historically where you share certain stuff and man, you don't hear the end of it. You right. tell your boys, man, this girl, she told me she ain't like me. Man, you still hearing about it today. Man, you remember <laughs> she told you your shoes were messed like it, it, it's yeah. a revolving door. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we yeah. have to be mindful of that. And we have to point our young people, particularly, to places of safety. Yeah. And yeah. you get to have a say so in what safe looks like. Because I grew up, my adopted parents, they my my dad would have been 90 and my adopted mom is 75. They're old. Ain't no safe spaces. Right. <laughs> you don't shut doors in their house unless you're using the bathroom or you getting dressed. Yeah. It's my house. Yeah. What's going on? Mm -hmm. but like, like that kind of thing. And I think mm -hmm. that's where we're pushing back and challenging that it's dangerous for some people to be vulnerable. I mean, mm -hmm. even thinking about the LGBT community. You can't share that you out with everyone even in 2023. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I so I think you have to be intentional about finding space and place where you can be safe. Right. I'm, I still have attention. I know we have to move. I just still have attention with that. Right. Because I, I understand the difference between privacy and secrecy. Right. Privacy, mm -hmm. not sharing all the details because everyone doesn't need to know all the details. But here are the high level pieces that could possibly help you on your journey. And then here's secrecy where. I'm holding that back. And by holding it back, I'm actually harming myself. And because the foundation of this country was based on the demasculation of Black men, the raping of Black women, and the selling of Black children, I, I caution this idea of you can't be vulnerable and it's not safe because this world was never safe for us. So how do we chip away at that so places are safe? Because we know folks of other races or persuasions, or maybe some of us, cry at the drop of a dime are expressive in front of everybody but me i see it as a weakness if i cry in front of people mm -hmm. that's hurting me <laughs> like my emotions are safe inside of me and they should be able to be expressed in front of anyone at any time and that that's that's just my tension there i hear you that's the phrase well here's here's one caveat that i add to it um and definitely not take it away from from the anecdote that you gave to what should, could, and would. But safe spaces are made by safe people. Mm -hmm. So in that car with the young man you said, he knows his uncle without the uncle ever knowing he's been watched for a safe space. Mm. So therefore, he knew, nah, I've been watching uncle. Why he while uh, even thinking I'm watching them and I know better, you know, the typical 
hey, I'm gonna say on the record as an adult or a parent or an uncle or aunt, blah, 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 that, you know, everybody's created equal, you know, uh, uh, don't treat people of Hispanic or LGBTQ, don't treat them differently, blah, blah, blah. And again, the schooling is, I overhear you on the phone talking to your friend, man, yeah. this month, 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 that gets stored and I go, yep, ain't coming up. <laughs> yep. mm. Ain't gonna cry about my girlfriend breaking up with me. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I totally agree with you yeah. and all the historical facts about how we're somewhat programmed. I think going forward, somebody like me in my position as an uncle, I got to be in the beginning intentional about making the space around me safe for whenever mm. they say, and I, I was intentional about, um, me know my nieces and nephew back in Chicago on Zoom, especially when the pandemic hit. So I got a little group with them, and I took you talking about being vulnerable. I was like, I know they're gonna be like, Oh, this is so lame. Uh, <laughs> like, I thought they was just gonna do it for me. Like, all right, come on, y'all, let's meet with Uncle Todd. But it turned into something, it blew me away. It's so great. I look forward to it, and they look to me as like it's safe for us to talk and have these conversations yeah with somebody who's been there done that and is not going to sugarcoat or patronize us yeah and now it's much more genuine than the first two meetings which were intentional now i definitely come and say hey guys just want you to know it's safe here with me but right I took advantage of those moments when they had questions about some of our family history, some of those yeah. secrets, as you say, and I go, all right, y'all, I'm going to take a chance to be vulnerable and tell you why uncle or aunt so-and-so mm -hmm. or what I did when I was your age mm -hmm. and you didn't know. And they, and yeah. you, but Pastor Graves is saying it like, we all have to watch who we can be vulnerable in yeah. front of. That's yeah. I'm compelled. So do, you, do, you all, do you all think, and I think you, you maybe touched on this a little bit, but I just want to hear if there's if there's more to add to this idea that there there's definitely some uh, transgenerational traumas that we we kind of carry, and how that plays into our mental health, wellness, our well being. Like what what is what what are those things that we generally speaking, you know, that we, we've got to overcome, like we've got to change the narrative about how we see mental health, mental wellness, um, the vulnerability, uh, you know, who are we in all of these different spaces and places? Like, what, what is that that we might add? Or what is that that you all can add to that conversation or that thought process about how we actually change those narratives? I see you nodding. <laughs> yeah, I had a ton of things popped out. So actually, this is one of the questions that kind of stuck with me. Um, I think you asked, like, how do we change these spaces? And Todd was talking a little bit about this. or how I, I do think it is us modeling and showing um, that we can have these conversations. We're open. Or even, you know, I don't understand this completely, but I did some research or I watched this show to get this perspective. Even saying that kind of stuff out loud less other people who are watching and paying attention know, okay, I might could talk to him. I might could talk to her about and follow up about this. I'm going to see if she or he says this again. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other piece, you know, when I think about this, 
you know, the generational pieces, that's real. Um, a lot of the stuff that we've been taught, I think, in my opinion, was to, at, at a certain time, to protect us, right? Like we had to, we went out to a world that was not always set up for us or had our best interests at heart. Um, you stepped on the wrong side of the track, you could lose your life as a man um, or as a, you know. So it, I think some of that stuff was set up to protect us. Now, moving forward, I, I wish we would learn as a community, as a people, world that you, we have more than contribute to, than to, to, to contribute than the physical, than the provider, than the, mm. um, you know, what we can do physically. Our, that gives to our community, but also our emotional intelligence, our whole selves, mm. you know, presenting, you know, with our sharing that with our community, what, you know, our values, our beliefs, our failures, how we failed up. Um, how we overcame that has value too. Uh, feeling mm-hmm. sad, you know, showing that that full range of emotion mm-hmm. has value to our community. Does that make? I don't know if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah, good. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that absolutely makes sense. Um, it it made me even think about just the the way in which, and, and you all have touched on this, the way in which Black men are perceived and have been perceived, portrayed in, in media, in TV, movies, you know, through music, um, the just the, the over-sexualization even of, of Black men um, and how that probably plays or has a part in how, I think maybe in how Black men in, in particular see themselves um, in, in the community the ways in which it's defined and the masculinity is defined and the heteronormativity is defined, like all of these things are defined and it's, it's portrayed and we see it. And especially with the younger generation who are just inundated with yeah. images of whatever celebrity, whatever person, whoever person that they think is the coolest, the best, the most masculine, yeah. it hype that is the whatever the words are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I just and I just see that play out so often, and it's like, when do we start to break? When do we start to break those those mm-hmm. cycles and, and present something that's different, as as you said, Chaz, a different a different uh, image and a different narrative of who we are. What? Yeah, I think. Uh, um, oh, go ahead. I think um, one of the things I've done to be intentional about shifting that narrative from someone who don't cry to a son who is emotional he's just an emotional being he's three he's learning emotions yeah and so i'm trying to create patterns of excellence for him so how does that make you feel he loves trucks if you could hit him he won't care now if you take that truck oh (laughs) and so how does that make you feel why do you feel that yeah. Right. Expanding language around this. There's more than just the angry and sad. Right. Mm-hmm. Thinking about that, I think it's also allowing our kids. They don't just become adults when they're 18, like creating patterns of wholeness. I never forget. It was this year. My wife has this big thing. She wants a six month picture and a year picture. Not me, but OK. So it came up for school pictures at school. My son didn't want to take the picture the first day. All right, we'll try makeup day. Makeup day comes, he is not having it. Like he is like falling out, like embarrassing. And I'm like, okay. And my wife is losing it. I said, well, maybe he's having a bad day. And she's like, no, he's not. He's not. Okay. 
So I go up to school. I try to calm him down. It's clear he's not doing this. I said, hey, listen, I'm going to check him out. I gave a three, two-year-old at that time a mental health day. Right? Let him. They have bad days just like you and I. We just have an allotment in which we can take it and still get a check for it, right? right. And so how do we create patterns of wholeness and excellence for them, right? Mm. Now, you can't do that every time. Mm -hmm. Some stuff you've got to deal yeah. with, but there are certain elements and areas in which you're having a bad day, and it's okay. You're going to have bad days. Mm. This is bothering you. You may not even know why, but let's try to figure this out. So that's what I've done specifically with my own child and then also with the young people that I work with. Um, the boy today at court, I was like, what do you think? I don't know. I said, that's okay. But let's try to think about this. So we're meeting on Monday so he can have some time to talk about what he felt, what mm. could have been, what is his plan to move forward. And we can't rush people into wholeness. I think that's important. Because it's like it's like the slave master. They're trying to beat you to get the job done. And sometimes we don't realize we're we're putting more pressure on children by trying to rush them into something that they may not be ready for. Absolutely. We yeah. over -medic medicate our children doing that too. And pray. I don't think we, we want to have that conversation. Or we do the opposite and say, just pray about it. And I'm a ministry professional. And I believe in the power of prayer, but that's not all. And so it's a more holistic perspective that I think we need to have when we approach mental wellness. And I've been guilty. I think language is important. Absolutely. Mental illness is the language I used until a couple of years ago, as if that's a definer of that entirety of that person, but it's not, mm -hmm. right? That's your mentally ill uncle. Or we say that's your retarded cousin. You know how we do? They slow. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we just, that's who they are but that's not who they are. Looking at the humanity and the inherent dignity of each individual, I think it's so important for us. Yeah. And that's just not like, for some, I think that's important for all of us. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what? Segue into the original thing that you asked, Mikhail, is I, I, I liken it to how sometimes I have conversations and I say 5X plus 3 where were we when we hit that algebra phase where we looked at 5x plus 3 as an answer and was like no that's that's 8x no it's 5x plus 3. so you find out what x is and you you just your brain couldn't handle it because everything had to be solved in neat in a little package yeah yeah and when it comes to the language and and, and what all of you all saying for me again by necessity when you know in the position i'm in and a lot of times as a coach i end up being the uncle the older brother the counselor i'm not trained for that but i just pull from whatever kind of experiences i have but basically listening mm. that's a mm. that's a great cornerstone that's different from hearing someone mm -hmm. come on because mm -hmm. if i hear you especially from where we have been, you know, again, trained as men, you're supposed to solve it, put a neat little package, don't bring it up again. <laughs> Look what I did for you, give you my kudos. I'm dead of the year. 
you know, mm-hmm. it, as much as it could be thought as a little tongue in cheek, little jab, but with my dad, Christmas presents, birthday, you ate, uh, you, you had a and brought up in Chicago, you had heat. Mm-hmm. I'll win all year. Like what? <laughs> That's your Christmas gift and your birthday present, all wrapped in the one on a daily basis. So I need not try to have those type of conversations that unfortunately I have with my boys believing everything that they say. And none of us, all of us ignorant. <laughs> but I, I can't get nowhere with you. Mm. My birds and bees conversation literally lasted five minutes hmm. in the car while he turned down the, the talk radio that was it there are no questions afterwards there is no follow-up it is no let me tell you how i grew up son it was you better not get caught <laughs> and that was it everything else i got school hmm. so the part about i heard you you know it was addressed and that's it that's the thing of the past that is antiquated mm. uh, if we talk about being progressive and listening means i'm just listening and and we may have to live with 5x plus 3 right now mm. Mm. And, and i'm going to i'm going to continue to save space by saying when we figure out x we can solve for it but it may not be the day why you just dumping out stuff at your heart um asking questions why is this and and why can't i i don't know you know i don't have all the answers as an older person as an older man in front of you as an older black man just i'm listening though i'm listening Hmm. goodness i do not know to end the the time the time um we have so many things we want to ask. I mean, I, 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 can I just say, I do I do want to just get this one question in. I know we're running short on time, but I want to ask this question because I know that this is, um, this is a challenge in the Black community, especially, especially for us. How do we, how do we deal with this tension between um, spirituality and spiritual healing the clinical support therapy how do we deal with this because it's you know we've we've heard you know we we know what we've heard we, we've heard all of these ideas and thoughts about okay we we'll, we'll pray about it. it's gonna get fixed like all of these things and well you know don't worry about it we have the ultimate healer and while we may believe in all of these things where does this, the mental health support come into play how do we deal with this tension um especially in the black community about mental um, health counseling and going to see a therapist. And I don't, I don't need no therapist. I got Jesus. Can you have uh, both? I, mean, I don't know. Can you have yeah. both? Right. I yeah, <laughs> absolutely. This was crazy. This was crazy about you asking that. Uh, talking to a colleague, um, of course, all educators, and she mentioned, well, yeah, Todd, you know, you're so great. I think you're a great addition to our staff and what have you. And we just need more men in education. How do we do that? And think about 25 years ago when this was still a, a problem, still a, 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 a travesty on the educational field. And now here we are from the mental health perspective. And I was like, traditionally speaking, education ain't sexy to a young man trying to you know, think about, 
I want to make enough money that if a future, I want to have a family, uh, but be able to afford things comfortably, not going to education. In the same vein, mental health or the struggles of it or the process through it ain't sexy. It's not attractive. Mm-hmm. It is not something that says, I'm going through a thing right now. I'm on a date nap and I see it. Make sure you are emotionally stable. Make sure you are this and that. Well, who can honestly say I am? Because I can be right now, but in two weeks, who knows what may mm. happen? Mm. So while we all out here trying to say this is a great thing, it still ain't something that's so appealing that we want to jump head first into it and, 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 and again, make claims to it. Because that, that mm. part of our manhood is, you know, I'm going through a thing right now. No. That's really hard. Hmm. Okay. okay. And to piggyback, Todd, off what you said real quick, plus the system, you know, not being sexy, what first came to my mind is this system, the mental health, the medical field, hasn't always been, has been kind of suspect for our community, right? Like they, <laughs> it has not always <laughs> done well by us. Um, and it wasn't set up to welcome us, right? So there have been times where, Folks have come in. I'll, I'll talk about, you know, clinical work, for example, the clients, adult clients I work with now, a lot of them have shared with uh, me and my other colleagues in the practice that, okay, I'm glad I found a black therapist because I had all these other black, white women that were only available or white men. And I ended up having to educate them about my experience. They didn't understand. Some of them got frustrated with me because I would be talking about systematic racism or what I was experiencing as a black man or a black woman. So we, I'm saying that to say this, this mental health system does need to do a better job at letting folks know you can come bring your faith. You can come bring your, you know, um, these other things. We will, we're going to get the training we need to, to meet, meet you where you at. Um, but there, there is, and I think in the last few years too, I've seen more of this. There's more uh, willingness from clinicians and the system to welcome these conversations. Mm-hmm. Okay. As a faith-based professional, uh, I have to know my own limitations, going back to that understanding of what it means to be a man, knowing your limitations and your capacity. Mm-hmm. And so what I've personally done is we have a resource manual where we can refer people, mm-hmm. refer people over to mental health professionals. And we have a list of white, black, because even black people, we suspect of black people sometimes. Mm-hmm. Hello. Hello. That's what it is. All skin, folk, all skin folk ain't kin folk. So Hello. we'll just yeah. leave that one at that. But I think we have to resource <laughs> our congregations and resource our people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you may have mental health counselors in the foyer after church with their car. Mm-hmm. Hey, or you create a resource center so it's not a stigma. People see you walking up there, right? Mm-hmm. I think also you have to have honest dialogue with yourself and say, I'm not well, mm-hmm. right? What I have done in the past is no longer working. Prayer might have worked last time. Mm-hmm. Baby, listen, some things you're going to need more than prayer, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. My daddy died when 2014. Y'all, I believe in God. I was in school to be a pastor and... I had to drop out of school because I was not well. Mm. And the church could not help me. Mm-hmm. I went home for three months, did intensive counseling. 
like how do we bridge the gap i think we first have to start with narrative as well like we have to share with people right mm -hmm. do our own part individually yes collectively but as individuals and share look i'm doing this too i believe in god and i believe in the power of counseling therapy and even medicine if and when necessary yeah and i think that element for me has been the most freeing part and I've seen a shift within our own ministry context where people are more open to it. But you got to understand, it's not going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. This is like the civil rights movement. They still fighting, right? Mm -hmm. We still got, it's not going, we're not going to win overnight, right? Mm -hmm. We got to have a long-term mindset. And I think when we do that, and when we talk about wholeness, holistically, I think that helps us, right? Because it's not it's not okay to just be spiritually well and you mentally anguished. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's a piece of the pie. You good over here, but y'all are educators, right? So y'all mm -hmm. get it. You could be passing in math, but if you fell in your other classes, you failing. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. And so we got to do a better job. Of, it's a lot. But I think yeah. if we all do our part yeah. and if we, we play our roles and stay in our lanes and then no... When it's not in our lane and refer, I call Chaz and say, Chaz, look, I don't get this. Here, Chaz, I need your help. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to send my right. people to Chaz. So I'm not just sending them to somebody I don't know who don't know what they need. Right. I'm doing the legwork after that as well. I think that mm -hmm. would help the church and Black people in particular to bridge the gap between faith and mental health. Mm -hmm. Yes. So powerful. We're, we're at time, but... May I ask one more question to, and then move into closing? Do y'all have that time? If you don't have the time, that's okay. I do. I may have to uh, have you reach out to my people for conversation. <laughs> 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 so I'm going to it. It's one question. I'm going to ask Okay. So, so here, here's the question. Scott, two parts, maybe three. The first question is... <laughs> What are what are signs of mental um, unwellness or mental illness with black men in particular that we overlook? What are some of those signs? A, B, what are the spaces or the traditions or the rituals or the circles and where you three feel most whole and cultivate your wholeness and joy? And how can others tap into that? Other black men tap into that. So signs of mental unwellness or mental illness with black men that we overlook. And then how do you three tap into spaces and circles or rituals or traditionals of traditions of wholeness? And how can other black men do the same? I'll jump in on that first one real quick um, about the mental wellness uh, part. Uh, I think what I have noticed and what I've seen in some of the data is uh, sometimes, and I saw this with the kids I work with in, in, in schools, is anger is when, and when, and that's, I think, sometimes a go-to emotion because a lot of us have only, it's only anger or, or happy. Mm -hmm. Anger is often seen as just anger. And, and Sometimes with some black men, it is actually depression um, or anxiety. Uh, but the only way that that's being expressed is anger or outbursts. 
And I would say if you are looking at, you know, somebody and, you know, they have some of this or you are somebody excessive worry, these outbursts, you're going from up and down is lasting more than 10 days, two weeks. You might want to be thinking about and you've been praying or whatever you know, to, to the pastor's point. You might want to think about talking to somebody with for some extra conversation to figure mm-hmm. out how you can shift from that. Um, my, the second piece about the spaces, uh, I love to cook. That's something me and my grandmother did. I get a lot of joy from that. So I try to do that for my family. I cook for my uh, friends and uh, family. So, uh, finding ways you can do that kind of thing that may connect you, uh, to the things that connect you to your, uh, ancestors, your family, mm-hmm. um, if that's something safe for you. Two, I know there's a lot of, I've worked with a lot of men who aren't connected to their families or feel like they, they live in cities where they can't make those connections right away. So sometimes reading books by Black authors, by Black men doing affirmations helps them get that connection they need to make the next step to leap out to other, you know, to make those connections in real life with new folks. Mm. Um, the one thing, the, the, I guess is the second part, if I address that and it trickles out to some of the other ones, um, you know, me being from Chicago every now, uh, every summer I'll go back to visit and I got a good core guys that we all golf. And being that I've been going so long, it's, it's just an automatic thing that when I come back, set up the rounds, we go on golfing, you know, and, it has become, it was, it wasn't intentional, but it's very genuine now that we catch up with each other. Now, all three of them are there, but when I come in town, it's a little different. So as far as that space to really dump a lot of stuff, especially like those three, they may not talk, but Todd is in town. So like, we really just, the next three days we on golf courses, but it's not really for golf. It's to like, you know, unload on one another. And again, just to listen. Um, have a little fun, catch up, things of that nature. And I think, you know, uh, the trickle out effect of some of those other questions is as men, even if it is something that is a distraction, quote unquote, but it is something that will lead to you, you know, it's four of us, but I'm really tight with one of them that I can have those conversations. Sometimes we need that as a distraction versus, hey, man, I'm coming back in town. Let's meet up, you know, at the local library and really express our feelings. (laughs) No, one of them would look at me so ridiculous (laughs) and be like, what? Mm. But we know what's going to happen if we all go to the golf course and Mm. that's the whole hours for us to tap into one another and and, and really break bread, if you will. And I think that is how maybe another trickle out effect is finding out how to read individuals. Yes, mm-hmm. black men, some things that get overlooked, brother Chaz, yeah, anger, um, or trying to, especially with the uptick of social media, trying to overdo that your life mm-hmm. is lit. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you ain't got no lady problems. You know, I got 99 problems. Yeah, 98 of them, bro, is lady problems, homie. Stop. You ain't Jay-Z. Like, you ain't just, like, the man walking through your hood, you know, in a, in a, in a rented charger. Stop. Okay? Stop the cap. 
So yeah. I think sometimes that gets overlooked that everything's good with this dude. Yeah. Because little do little do the other people on the outside know I'm trying to be like this dude to the point I'm jealous. And this dude over here, I'm trying not to show y'all how fragile and broken I am. Mm -hmm. And everybody lost. Mm -hmm. So that's the one thing I think gets overlooked currently. Um, that that I don't I don't know what it's gonna take to expose it or to to lessen it, if you will. Mm. 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 I think they've done a good job of explaining uh, the first question about signs of mental illness. So I won't cover that. Um, the second thing is what brings me wholeness. Um, silence. Mm. My mind mm. is so loud at times. Um, silence and walking. So mm. Arkansas is beautiful. I'm from, I, I went to school on the East Coast and all that. Like to be in the woods or on a walking trail by the river, like that. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like it's beautiful it it brings me so much peace of course they are scientific research about the benefits of exercise i don't know all that but for me it works <laughs> like that it just does something to me so i don't put yes. my airpods on i don't have a play podcast mm -hmm. nothing like just me walking and i'm not walking to get my heart rate up i'm chilling like that mm -hmm. does it i think scheduled check-ins like todd said like and this ain't no family trip. My wife not here because sometimes she stressed me. My kids not here sometimes. Like, I'm going away. I think that's healthy. And then for me, because most of my colleagues and friends, they're back up north. I can't get to them. So we got a group chat. And Lord, I cannot share the screenshots. But <laughs> it's therapeutic yeah. to get it out, right? right. Like, you can't... I, Y'all see past grave screenshots. Y'all be like, oh, but like, yeah, it's, it's that provides me therapy and healing. Um, and I think the other piece of that is I know them so well and they know me that they can say, even through text, you okay? Mm -hmm. Right. Or where you been? I know you have a rhythm. You send something every three days. Where you been? Oh, yeah. What's really going on? Mm -hmm. like, I can't get back to Ohio. That's 15 hours away where they at. But I can connect with them and it'd be something random and it'll bring us joy. And right. I think having those circles and spaces is what really brings me uh joy, even if it is virtually. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Can I say one more thing just because he, he um Pastor Graves, you brought up joy. I was when I was putting my talking pieces together or points together for this, I really kept coming to um, black joy and how we mm -hmm. sometimes stifle that because we're afraid the next shoe gonna drop or we're mm -hmm. comparing, like Todd said, we're comparing to these other people around. Well, he got it worse or he's doing this or he got it. My just enjoy find ways to find you some little piece of joy, whether that's you found mm -hmm. a penny on the ground. You got a surprise call. You got, you know, Chipotle for lunch, something. Um, don't, you know, welcome the joy that is showing up, that everyday joy that's showing up in your life. I mm. think that will help with balancing out everything else that's going on. It's, that helps for me. I know, I've noticed it's helpful for other men, women too, folks, people in general. Finding those little, don't, don't stifle it. Let it, it's okay. Um, even if the other the shoe is going to drop, it's going to drop. Um, but you having that joy is not going to go away. So mm, I love that. I love it. 
Well, you you all, this this has been great. Um, you know, man, I wish we had a whole another hour because there's so much more to, to talk about. Um, but I do want to end with with where people can find you. How can people get in touch with you all? Pastor Rex, how about you tell us? How can folks get in touch with you? I'm young, but I'm not really techie. So just find me on Facebook, <laughs> Alan Irizarry Graves. Um, or or you can find me on Amazon. I have a book called A Quest for Belonging, mm-hmm. Overcoming Abuse, Abandonment, and Identity Crisis, in which I share my story through foster care and how all of that has impacted me now as a father. Um, that's on Amazon. That's it. I'm real simple. Okay. Yeah. I love it. Say the, say the name of your book again, Pastor Graves. It's called A Quest for Belonging, Overcoming Abuse, Abandonment, and Identity Crisis. We will absolutely make sure to link um, the book um, for all of our listeners. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I'm so glad you said that, Pastor Graves, because I'm also, I'm really just on Facebook and LinkedIn and I don't post. <laughs> like I don't post. So I'm wondering, and in lieu of where they, I mean, they can go to LinkedIn or, or Facebook and find me, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering if I, I did put together some resources for folks. If mm-hmm. I share that with you, if you can sh- disperse that or share it, I would, um, I'd be happy to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know Todd had to leave, but we'll, we will have his um, information available for the audience to, to reach out to him um, through, I, I think he's everywhere. Uh, Facebook, TikTok. Uh, he sounds like he's everywhere. Have those links so y'all can get in touch with him as well. Um, thank you all so much for participating in the Front Porch Podcast. This has been truly enlightening for me, um, has given me a lot to even think about. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of serious. Mikkel and I are going to have to have a conversation about part two because there's so much more here to unpack. So thank you all for your time awesome. um, today. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Appreciate it so much. All right. Until next time, we'll see you on the front porch. Thank you for listening to the Front Porch Podcast. Resources and other goodness from this episode are in the description. Please share, subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll see you next week on the Front Porch.